Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Uncorked with Funny Wine Girl. This is Funny Wine Girl, aka Janine Luby. And this week, we're talking about something that I think will be a fun conversation. Of course, there is a serious element to it, but I guess, and maybe you won't find it funny, I've found humor in it through the years. Um, it's it's not just humorous, but it's a, a joyful uh, work, and it is, it can be really helpful, and it's been helpful to my life. Uh, it's it's taught me a lot, um, but I think you'll find it lighthearted enough because we did have uh, a serious conversation last week with Nina Judge uh, to raise awareness about suicide and mental health. And while it was very serious, I hope that you were able to still walk away with hope. Uh, there was some lightness at the end. Um, Nina, of course, has moved on and started the John Malvisi Foundation in honor of her father. So there is hope and help. She's going to help shine the light on uh, people being able to talk freely about mental health and suicide so that they can get help and so that they know they're not alone. So while that was serious, I hope that you stuck around and, and heard the full conversation and can find the light uh, in, in that episode. So this week is, I will admit, going to be much lighter. So this week I'm going to be talking to a guest who does something that I do. Uh, anyone who has seen my stand-up comedy or maybe followed some of my social media posts knows that one of my quote unquote gig life jobs, uh, I do have my own business doing marketing and doing laughter yoga. So I don't really think I live a, a gig life so much anymore, but I did, <laughs> I did kind of relate to that or identify as a gig lifer uh, a lot over the past several years. But more recently, I'm really diving into my marketing work. But so part of my gig life has included standardized patient work. So if any of you are Seinfeld fans, and again, if you know me, you know that that's my probably still my all time favorite show. One of the episodes on Seinfeld shows Kramer portraying what it's like to be a standardized patient. Now, of course, uh, Seinfeld is a comedy and Kramer is over the top. So uh, standardized patient work is not quite like that. But of course, it's still some to some degree like that. Uh, in fact, when I signed up to do this job, um, the coordinator, Kate, had said, uh, you know, have you ever seen that episode of Seinfeld? It's like, of course I have. Uh, so in, in that episode of Seinfeld, uh, Kramer and his buddy Mickey go to a local med school in New York City, and they have to portray different uh, the symptoms of different diseases so the students can diagnose them. <laughs> and Kramer, of course, gets uh, pigeonholed or stereotyped or whatever the word is, typecast, uh, because he did such a great job with gonorrhea. So uh, of course that was humorous. But so what this episode is going to be about this week is me speaking with another woman who does standardized patient work in a different location in uh, of part of the country in the DC area. So we're going to be talking a lot about that. And so I wanted to explain it a little bit first, standardized patient, what it means. So it's, it's usually part-time or per diem work. And basically, you come in and sometimes you're just there as a, a human. No, no, yourself as a human. You don't have to portray anybody, but maybe they're going to be practicing how to do, um, you know, blood pressure readings, or they're going to be practicing uh, where to listen to your lungs and your heart and what they should be listening for. And, you know, uh, this is how they learn. And it's great that they can learn on real people because, you know, before they get out there into the field, this is necessary. And it's not, it's not just about uh, learning the technique, right? Learning to find 
where your pulses are, you know, uh, the popliteal behind your knee, the femoral pulse in the uh, groin area. It's not just about learning those skills, although those are incredibly important. It's about learning to deal with real people. So learning uh, good communication skills, empathy, and all of those wonderful traits is what they learn when they have people like myself and my guest this week come and be standardized patients. So I wanted to explain what that was first before I introduce my guest. And I do want to put something in here just because in this day and age, I feel like I should protect myself. I am going to be speaking about my experiences as a standardized patient uh, at Geisinger in Scranton, the school. uh, It's changed names. When I started, it was the Commonwealth Medical College, and then Geisinger bought it out. So it's the Geisinger School, uh, oh, Jeeper, GSOM, Geisinger School of Medicine. Uh, it might even have a longer name, but that's why I, I, I still think of it as TCMC. It opened up uh, over 10 years ago. But in any case, I want to make it clear that I am speaking on uh, my own behalf. I am not an employee. It's per diem work, and we're paid through a temp agency. I am speaking based on what I have experienced. Um, and, you know, just sharing it so that people understand it. And of course, you all, I always like to introduce my listeners to something new. And maybe if you're already familiar with this work, you're just going to, you know, enjoy relating to the conversation. But again, I just want to make it clear this I do not represent the school. I am not uh, speaking on their behalf. I am not speaking on anyone's behalf officially other than my own. So now, with that said, I would like to tell you that my guest this week is Katie Culligan. Katie has a podcast called the Standardized Patient Podcast, and she talks all about this work. So if you are interested and you're like, wow, I did not get enough of that topic, I want more, then you can go on uh, Apple. And I believe she's also on Spotify. I'm not positive of that, but I I believe she is. You can go and start following Katie's podcast. Uh, As I said, and uh, I want to make sure I'm giving it the proper plug. It's the Standardized Patient Podcast podcast, patients podcast, excuse me. So um, check that out. She talks about her experiences and she has some great interviews on there. So she covers a variety of aspects. So before I uh, turn it over to Katie with my introduction here, I also want to say like I do every week, how do I know people? This is someone who I've never met in person. Katie and I are meeting for the very first time virtually on this Zoom conversation. But Katie uh, is someone that I found on social media. And as much as I know social media, it's funny, every time I bring it up, it's like there's good and bad to social media. And I think we all know that. Um, I try to utilize it for the good as much as I can. And you can connect and meet people who do things that you do or do things that you want to do and you can learn more. So when I saw, I don't know how I saw it, but I saw her posting that she had a podcast about standardized patient work. And I was like, oh my gosh. I actually had not met anybody other than, of course, my friends here in Scranton. Uh, And in fact, Julie Esty will be on soon this month talking about her Dunmore Cemetery tour and a book she wrote recently. She is someone I would never have gotten to know if I had not become a standardized patient. So, um, But this was the first person who wasn't in our little bubble here in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And I was like, oh my gosh, something to connect with this person about. And it was really cool. I reached out to her and there you go. So without further ado, Welcome, Katie Culligan, to this week's episode of Uncorked with Funny Wine Girl. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you all about this. I can't wait to dive into this. It's like, and as I said to you before I hit the record button, whenever I tell people about this, 
inevitably they want to know more. And I've referred so many people and it's, I, I joke, I'm like, I'm going to get myself out of, out of work because people are like, how do you become that? I want to do that. <laughs> and you know, it's funny, we actually have an episode that's literally about that. Like, how do you become a standardized patient? And yeah. we interviewed somebody who like told people how to do it and does workshops. So yeah, it really is a thing that people are fascinated by. And even people that aren't um, in, in the industry or don't know about it, they can easily potentially become standardized patients depending on what their goals are. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into that, because I, I cannot wait, like I'm super excited to talk about that, but we didn't, I don't know you. I didn't really know you until I saw, like I said, I saw your podcast, uh, a promotion for it, I should say on Instagram. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And I was thinking, I've never done an episode about this, even though everyone I talk to is so interested. And I thought, well, who better to talk to than someone who does it and has a podcast about it. But I don't really, we've never met before and we're just meet, meeting tonight virtually. Tell me and my listeners a little bit about yourself. We did talk before I hit the record button. You've been to Scranton, so that's a plus. You were here for a wedding, so I'm excited to hear that. But tell me just whatever it is you feel comfortable sharing a little bit about your background and then what maybe what led you to SP work. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I am based out of the uh, D.C. area. I live right outside of, um, of D.C. in McLean, Virginia. And I was a theater major in college, James Madison University, theater, uh, musical theater concentration. So I come from a theater background. And when I graduated college, I was very fortunate to do a show with a woman who said, hey, I'm never going to have a, a normal day job again as an actor. I said, tell me more. So she gave me all of this advice and contact about all of the schools in the D.C. metro area to become a standardized patient, which I didn't know existed at that point. But apparently it was a very popular thing. And this was the end of 2007. So she kind of got me in the door with a lot of places and I started working little by little at different universities, different med schools, sim centers. And over time, I started working at more and more. The more you say yes, hopefully if they like you, they ask you to do more and more. And I just found it was such a great, flexible day job, truly, for an actor because I was doing, until the pandemic, <laughs> I was doing tons of stage work in the D.C. area. Um, so my, you know, my nights weren't always available. My weekends weren't always available. But daytime weekdays often were. Um, and so that just became a great gig. And it actually got me, it really was a bit of an acting training as well for like on-camera screen work stuff due to the subtlety and nuance. Um, and I've learned so much medically too, honestly. I'm, I'm also a personal trainer and group exercise instructor and health coach. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I have a certificate in health coaching from Georgetown. So a lot of it all kind of comes together. Um, in this world, which is really cool. However, I'm, I am not a doctor. Like I'm, I will never be a doctor, and that's okay. <laughs> but I, uh, I would be happy to say I would play one on TV at some point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so that's kind of how I came about the business. And since then, I've been doing it a lot. I've done other role playing as well, and um, virtual during the pandemic. And the the other thing is, I actually have taught med students this. this crazy, I'm sure, but I've taught med students as a standardized patient medical maneuvers. So we have a couple episodes 
about that, which is called like standardized patient instructor work or physical exam teaching associate uh, work where we actually get trained to then teach first and second year med students, which does make us feel like a doctor, even though we're still not one. So yeah, <laughs> that's a little bit about myself and the, you know, kind of a nutshell. <laughs> Let me ask you. So, and I know um, you mentioned that you, you have a, a, a daughter. Is it a daughter or you have oh, a son? You have, a actually. son. You have yeah. a small, a small child. I knew you have a little one. Yes. Um, so you're obviously very busy and you mentioned, uh, you know, a health coach, a personal trainer, you've got a lot going on and I love that they're all related to wellness. Uh, in some degree. Is this your main form of like work that it's standardized patient work? Is that is this still a major part of your life of what you do on a regular basis? A very good question. It has taken oddly around the time that we launched our podcast, it took it started to take a back seat due to me having a baby. <laughs> so I found that I am still doing some of it, but I was making the majority of my money from it, either that or personal training group exercise and standardized patient work was a lot of my income because a lot of stage work just does. I'm non-union currently and it just doesn't pay the bills in the way I would love it to. So I just found that 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 was very dominant in my life. And now I do it on occasion and I do plan and hope to get back to it more uh, but I just feel like at least in the meantime, while I'm kind of staying home with the baby and caretaking, because he's 20 months right now, um, that I can at least work with the podcast and like promoting the world of standardized patients. And so that's been kind of my, I don't want to say consolation prize, but like it just kind of feels like I'm still part of that world because I'm still connecting with people even deeper. Honestly, these are people that I know, some that I don't. Um, and it's been really, really cool. And to connect with people through Instagram as well, TikTok uh, and other sources like from all over the world, even like not even just the USA, but it's it's been a really cool, cool thing. So, yeah, uh, but I do plan to get back to it at some point. That's awesome. So let me ask you, um, you said around the world. So are there, I mean, it's probably a stupid question. I would imagine other countries do this as well. Why wouldn't they? But I just haven't, I haven't read it myself or seen it, but obviously you have, right? Yes. Uh, so one of our guests from season two uh, is from Canada. So she and she wrote a book uh, about it. And I was also asked to write an article for a magazine called Simzine that is in multiple different languages. But I don't I, I don't know if it's an Italian person or Spanish. And then I also through social media, there's a lot of uh, Spanish-speaking countries that have a lot of sim work that I've connected with. Um, so, and I, I there might be a couple others, but I have to go back into my emails. <laughs> but yeah, it's just cool. It's like, it's everywhere. Yeah, that's really neat. And it's funny, I, I should have remembered or I should say realized when I'm thinking other countries, I forget, I forget Canada is another country. But I did have on a guest uh, a couple months ago. Her name was Melissa. She was actually uh, working in the Sim Center, not as a standardized patient, but she was like the scheduler for uh, a couple of years. She married someone who was living in Canada. So now she lives in Canada and she's doing standardized patient work there in oh. Canada as well, which is pretty neat. That's awesome. So maybe she knows uh, our guests from the, you never know. Yeah. I'll have to ask her to listen to your episode there to connect. Yeah. That is really cool. And I think to let my listeners know, in case you are curious. So for, for me, my story, when I left my quote unquote day job uh, in, in 2010 to promote my business, I do laughter yoga. I needed something uh, else, right? So I needed to pay the bills and someone had mentioned 
the here in Scranton, Pennsylvania, our uh, medical college had just opened up around 2010. So I submitted an application and I started working doing it. And I love the fact that it was per diem. And I'm guessing, and you could tell me if your story is different as far as the way that it's done here, it's uh, per diem. So you're sent information. It's like, these are the dates. Are you available? And if you can't do it, you say no. If you can, great. And you know, then you'll hear about, there's nothing guaranteed. At least that's how ours works. It's not a part-time job. We are per diem and they'll reach out to us. And and that's how it's been working for me for the past, uh, gosh, almost 13 years. Is that how your experience has been, Katie? Yes. Uh, I would say all of my jobs as standardized patients, simulated patients are independent contractor, except for one university that hires us as staff. However, it's still not like there are some months where we're there a lot and some months where we're not there at all or barely. So it pretty much is per diem. Yeah. yeah. And that's what makes it, honestly, that's what makes it. And I love what you said. It, you know, you have an acting background for people who do things at night and want something in the day, but they want something flexible. Or, you know, someone I know for, for us, for here in Scranton, there's a, we have a lot of retired people, mm-hmm. people who are like late 50s, 60s, who, you know, some it's a little form of income, but others it's it's a pastime, something to do. Um, and we and we have some actors as well. Uh, for myself, like I said, I was filling in income. And now, to be honest, I mean, I'm, I'm in a good place because I'm doing uh, my business still, but I'm kind of getting back to my roots of marketing. So I'm an independent contractor working with a couple different nonprofits helping with their marketing marketing, that's paying my bills. But this I still do, even if I only do a couple days a month, because I do enjoy it. I will tell you, and again, I'm sure this has been similar for you. I think just because of the nature of the work and where it's located, everyone's been wonderful. Uh, the mm-hmm. staff is usually is, is great where I am. Uh, the the doctors, uh, the students, everyone's been great, and they're so appreciative and eager to learn. And as you, I think, made reference uh, a few minutes ago, I've learned a lot about my body. I couldn't have told you before where my liver was. Now I know how many centimeters it is. <laughs> and so when a student gets it wrong, you're like, hmm. I know exactly how many centimeters this is. Okay. <laughs> Isn't it funny though when you're like, I, I love like when we're testing and, and sometimes they'll, I'm, I'm sure things or programs are run differently, but depending on the, the faculty person, they might say, okay, now Janine, um, do you have any tips or anything you'd like to add to tell the students so that they could benefit from? And I tell them all the time about the testing that we do know where things are. So even if you don't get a pulse, even if you're not getting the right blood pressure, you can pretend, but you can't pretend it's in the wrong place. Like, you know, if you're, if you're feeling for my femoral pulse at my feet, you're wrong. Like, obviously right. we know where things are located. So don't go, oh, I'm going to feel for your femoral pulse. No, you're not. Not by my heel. You're not. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. It's so true. Yeah. It's, and it's nice that we know these things about ourselves too, right? That we could... Potentially, it could come in handy someday. You never know. Or maybe it already has. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Again, uh, as far as the organs, I didn't know. Honestly, I didn't know which side of my body my pancreas was or my liver. And now I do. And even the pulses, I didn't know. And I mean, I'm not you know, I mean, obviously, if I, I read a book, I suppose, but I never got into anatomy or biology too deeply. I didn't know how many pulses we had in our body. And I just find this stuff honestly fascinating. I mean, I worked, my day job was working for Blue Cross of Northeastern Pennsylvania, which later became Highmark Blue Shield. So I wrote materials 
related to health and wellness and, and worked with the provider relations area and the quality assurance. So I find this stuff very interesting. So I love hearing their conversations when they're talking to the students about what the, you know, what they're learning that week. I love absorbing all that. I think it's so interesting. Oh, it totally is. And I, I, Totally agree. That's really interesting that you were, so you were doing more insurance, but of the health world. Yeah. I think we have Blue Cross Blue Shield. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny that um, I, when I started training, and this was in 2017, to become a standardized patient instructor, to start teaching the students about, not about the why, but the how. That's what we, our whole job is, like the the doctors will say like why we're doing this and or for the most part like getting really nitty gritty in that but we're like how how do we do the maneuver um and so i started all of a sudden like taking my husband's pulse you know on it, like his radial pulse and he'd be like are you feeling for my pulse again like we'd just be holding hands <laughs> or like i'd just be gra- <laughs> i still do it to this day because i'm just like i want to see if my skills are still there to like get the pulse and and find it it's really fun for me <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, you mentioned earlier about not being a doctor. I should probably watch that because I find myself when people are like about stomach pain, I'll be like, was it in your right side or your left side? Was it in the upper quadrant or the lower quadrant? Was it sharp? Is it steady? I'm asking all these questions. I'm like, Janine, you're not a doctor. But, but I'd like to like at least maybe help them know whether it is their appendix or not, you know, something of along course. those lines. Yeah, because you do have some information now, depending on what cases you've done, of like, what are signs of appendicitis? Oh my gosh, I've done so many appendicitis cases in the, over the years. And being like a woman, um, especially like I started when I was probably in my early 20s. So like a woman of childbearing age, everything happens in that lower right quadrant, like for these cases, because they're like, it could be an ectopic pregnancy. It could be appendicitis. It could be something with your liver. It could be just a stomach ache. Like there's so many things that, uh, that I just feel like I, I know that lower right quadrant so well. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was stumped when my cousin, I think she had pain on her, on her left side. And I'm like, mm, I'm stumped. Sorry. I can't help you there. I could tell you a lot about what's going on on the right side. <laughs> Could be spleen, perhaps. Ah, that would be yeah. my first guess, but meh, I don't know. <laughs> but you never know. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned the uh, the ectopic pregnancy. I've played that one years ago. Thank God they put her away. Her name was I love some of the names. Helen Hightower. Oh, oh love we that. used wow. to laugh about this case because <laughs> we often joke that they're like frustrated soap opera writers. Some of these doctors who write the cases because she literally smoked I think Paul Mall cigarettes and she loved to read romance and go to the opera and. And we laughed. We're like, well, wow. we don't really have the opera in Scranton, but we do have occasional musicals and things of that nature. <laughs> so maybe to her, that was the opera. Like she has a whole affect even. She saw it in an <laughs> elevated manner there. <laughs> <laughs> that so, is funny that they, yeah, they would write that in. But yeah. some of the stuff in. is just, you have to scratch your head. I don't know. <laughs> what are some of uh, your, I don't want to say favorite, but I will say favorite. So what are some of your favorite cases that you've played? Because they can be in interesting. I mean, not just learning, but like for us, we're, we're kind of laughing sometimes at the details, the hobbies they give the person or things like that. Yes. Okay. So all of my, I have to say all my favorite cases that I've played just coming from an acting background tend to be all history. And um, we call them uh, professional development ones. So oftentimes we'll do these with a big group of people. And then one student gets up and like, does it in front of everybody. Um, and those are so fun because I get to play kind of a difficult patient. So one of my favorite ones 
because they don't even get angry is I am somebody who just likes to talk and I talk and talk and talk and talk and don't let them get a word in edgewise at all. Um, another character is one who is pushing the boundaries for um, for the, the student doctor in front of everyone saying like, well, you know, I smoke pot sometimes like do you? And like, how do they deal with that as their as the medical professional? And that one is super fun because I get really buddy buddy with that person. Uh, and but also I've done angry cases; those are really fun. You get to, I just I like all the ones that I get to pull out my acting, but don't have to cry because I've done a ton of ones where I have to get really upset, and those are great. But I don't love doing them because it's so like it takes so much out of you. And then on on the other hand, I will say there's a one I did many years ago that literally was no acting whatsoever. It was there was a fake arm in the room, and the student, I think they were fourth year maybe, had to come in, and the patient was crashing, and we just had to say, "I'm crashing." Oh, and then they would like we would do a checklist to see how they could drill the IV into a bone. And it was a bunch of different steps. And it was only interesting to me because like, I've never seen anything like that. So for me to learn how one might do it, I couldn't tell you now, but that one was fun in a different way. But all the ones where they're just palpating my stomach, like I've just done so many of them. <laughs> kind of like, I want the acting. I want to, I want to act. How about you? What, what's some of your favorite ones? Well, and I should say, again, for people listening, in case you're curious, you don't have to be an actor. I know at least for us, it's not required, but it is something that I'd say actors are drawn to. In fact, when I did hear about it, it was from someone I had done improv with and he was like, oh, you know, they're looking for. But so I'm not an actor per se. I do comedy and I've done plays through the years, but you don't have to be. In fact, at our school, they don't want us to do too big emotions because, well, they're like, you don't want to scare the students. So it's funny you mentioned about the crying. Like <laughs> I, I joke with the, the manager that runs the simulation center. There was one case I played many years ago where it was potentially breast cancer. And so all the other SPs who played this came out and they're like, oh, they were offering me a tissue and all that. And I'm like, and hugs. And I'm like, I didn't get any of that. And it was like, apparently I wasn't giving off the right vibes, but I don't do the crying well. And thankfully they don't ask us to do that. They ask us to like be sad, but not really go there. We do have many people who are actors and some of them really do go there, but sure. I'm not yeah. one who's really capable of the crying, but I would love to play an angry case. Oh my gosh. I keep saying that. I'm like, can you give us an angry case? Because I would love that. Those are the best. They're so, so fun. I will say I've done one case. I'm reminded now where I have to like get act actually like aggressive, like not, not hitting anybody, but, and that was a little out of my comfort zone. I will say like anger here I can do, but anger of like yell that one. I just, I wish I could have taken more time. Like, I, I don't know. Something about it was, was challenging for me, but I will say that for the crying ones, for what it's worth and to your credit, they, whenever we've been trained on these really intense crying, potential crying ones, it's, they've always said, be present in the moment, whether you cry, whether you get angry, whether you're silent, like so much of how you as it is your own um, subjective uh, perspective. Like it's, it's what you're taking in at that moment. And it's not only how you're feeling that day, it's how the student delivers the news <laughs> too. Because if they deliver it 
poorly, then you're going to react a totally different way than if they deliver it so empathetically and so well. That's when I find myself getting like teary is when someone's really good at it. But when if they are super detached and cold and uh, by the book, then it's it's really easy to just shut down and like nothing, you know, silence. That's a a great point. You're absolutely right. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, that, that is true. Um, I played a case, uh, not too long ago where I, so this is kind of funny. We're kind of in a shortage. I'm sure this is probably not the case where you are, but we don't have enough young people like in their, in their twenties, cause they'll come in and then they're, maybe they're students and then, but they don't live here and, you know, then they're gone. So I will pet, I will be 52 in a couple of weeks. And I've recently played like a 28 year old and I'm like, wow, what a stretch. I better buy some better anti-wrinkle cream. But I mean, because there's a shortage of young people and I had to play a case where it's, you know, I think it's just a UTI, but her husband's away from the military and she slept with someone else recently. And it is so interesting the way the students respond because you'll have some and, you know, saying something that's an empathetic statement, but not being empathetic is that happens where it's like, oh, "Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry to hear that. Or they don't say it at all. But the ones who are like, oh, that must be really difficult for you that he's gone. I'm so sorry. Like, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not an actress or an actor, but like those you get so like, wow. Like I did feel something really emotional because they were so kind and genuine. It was just like, thank you. No, thank you for saying that. It has been difficult. I do miss him. And you get more uh, natural, I think, or in the moment, depending on how they're responding to you. Yeah, totally. I And like, that's also kind of the the cream rises there of like what students are really good at that and and some take time like you said some <laughs> will say an empathetic statement but not say it empathetically <laughs> and so and we've all like I know exactly what you're talking about and like they're on the right track you know at least they know to say it um, <laughs> but they still have got to get there rather than the the people that don't even think to say it. So it's it's definitely a learning curve. And some people just have it. They just know. And so that type of stuff comes so well to them and so easily that they can fit it in like, oh, of course that makes sense. Uh, but but others, it's, you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes our, our joke as SPs are sometimes like, yeah, I think maybe they should go into research. <laughs> You know, that's, yes. uh, <laughs> we say that too. We're like, let's hope he's behind the scenes or she's behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like go into medicine, please. But maybe, maybe you don't want to be with, maybe you want to be a surgeon even. I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's, yeah. Not to say that there aren't great empathetic surgeons as well, but um, I don't work with surgeons really. When I think yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, we don't either. But do you <laughs> think, and this is just your, your, I'm just asking your opinion. I, I, you're right that for some people it does come naturally and you can tell that instantly, you know, the ones, because they're just talking to you. They're just like, you know, they're stopping their, their train of the thought and all those questions to say something that is coming naturally to them. But do you think that empathy, because I've had this conversation with people recently, do you think empathy can be, I know that it can be taught as far as when it's appropriate, right? But do you think that it can really be taught in a genuine sense? Like, cause sometimes the best maybe they could do is go, yeah, I'm sorry. But I don't know if the, you know, I mean, unless they're short of taking acting classes, which they may not, do you think that they can really learn that to express it empathetically? That's a really good question. And I don't know the answer. I will, I would assume that perhaps the more they do it, they can learn a little bit because especially when they're out in the real world, I would like to think 
that they're going to see real people dealing with these like real emotions and uh, real pain. But also maybe if they've been through some of these things or a family member has. Uh, I do know when we've done some of these breaking bad news cases, like where they tell us we have cancer and that type of stuff, there are some students that get very, very upset, even watching, even if they're not the ones doing it. And sometimes if they are like in the feedback portion, the discussion, if they've had, you know, a, a history of that or a family member, a friend of anything like that. So I think those things can certainly help. Like now, so we mentioned my toddler earlier, like I could never put myself in those shoes before. It's like as a mother, I just couldn't do it. I was like, I have a cat. He's amazing. I love him. But like, <laughs> it's still not the same. And so now I definitely... I was I was out earlier today. I was in a store and I heard a, a newbornish baby crying, and it, my heart just was like, ugh. Like I in the back back maybe three years ago, I would have been like, oh my god, how annoying, you know. <laughs> but now I'm like, oh, <laughs> like I am all the time, baby. <laughs> yeah, like because it's annoying. It is, but now it's just like I'm thinking about like I'm I'm glad that's not my baby <laughs> that's crying. <laughs> like I'm I'm glad that somebody else has to deal with it. But I can put myself in the shoes of like I know what that feels like. And to then like all of the emotions that can come with it. So like in a real world perspective, I now will be better at, at acting certain things as, as a parent, but also in that in these environments. However, something that's like I came in because I've been doing needle drugs, you know, like uh, and I have HIV or AIDS, um, HIV. That is when I did many, many years ago. And. I can't put myself in those. Like, that's a tough one because I've never, luckily, done that. Um, so, you know, it's just all of those things that I, I think anyone can get better at certain things like empathy. But at the same time, we all have our weaknesses, too, I think, and, and places where we're just going to have to give it our best. And I yeah. would hope that the students do that. <laughs> yeah. And that's very fair what you said. And I think that's probably what they're shooting for at the schools. If they practice enough, it probably will come more like naturally that they would think, oh, I should probably offer some comfort here in some words. And, you know, I, I do believe that some people who are born with it, no matter, you know, we all have different skills because maybe the person who isn't as good or at sounding empathetic or genuine mm -hmm. may have other skills where they're very observant, you know, mm -hmm. and they notice something that another student might. So, and I do think, as you said, they, they will also maybe grow into it as they experience more throughout their lives as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that is all we can hope, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, because I know I've I've been to doctors uh, maybe you have too that are not empathetic. Mm -hmm. And I've let because of that I have left those doctors. And even one of them I wrote a note, a handwritten note because I was so frustrated about them and that is really not in my nature. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I was coming from an empowered place of I have control over my health care. I don't need to go to this person who's going to make me cry, you know, or whatever, or like not communicate with me well. Uh, I can I can choose someone else to go to. So so yeah, I just think that when we all have those bad healthcare experiences, it just makes us. I don't know about you, but it makes me feel better about being a standardized patient. You know, working with these. <laughs> future doctors so yeah yeah i mean and that is the goal we're we're helping and hopefully it will make a difference so that they will be you know 
better doctors that are, are coming out and continuing to come out because we need that. And, uh, you know, and what they're teaching them, I think is great. It's, it's super important what they're learning. Mm-hmm. Um, what, so I've asked you your favorite case. Uh, what, what are some of the things that have happened that were kind of funny or oh. things that stand <laughs> out to you? Cause I'm sure through the years there have definitely been some funny things. Oh yes. So many, <laughs> so many that I started writing some down. Um, it's like what avenue to take with this, honestly. <laughs> so one of my favorite, I mean, this was, this is my bad, but it's still one of my favorite stories is it was a very long exam day and I was real tired. I was in my twenties, so I just wasn't taking care of my sleep. And, uh, and so during one of the encounters that I was down, not, not doing it, um, I, took a nap in the hallway <laughs> because there was no place to take a nap. We, I just like literally kind of went under a desk in a hallway and I was out of people's way and I set my alarm. It was on my Blackberry at the time. So <laughs> you can probably tell what year this is. And I set my alarm, which was set to the entertainer at, to come off so I could then be ready for my next encounter time. And all of a sudden, I guess things were running early. So I hear students, uh, please log in. Uh, patients, please prepare, which was always for this particular school, what they said when things are about to go down. So I'm like, I wake up, I I sprint right into the room, but I didn't have time to turn off my phone or set the alarm to not go off. So outside of the room in the hallway during this person's encounter, the entertainer was playing for a good five minutes, like just said, get it, get it, get it, get it. And I, oh my God, I just like the student, I'm sure, was just like trying to, you know, not worry about it. And I was like, that is me. Oh my God, that's me. I was, and I, what, I started laughing, like I, but just giggling, like to myself. So that to me was really, really crazy. But here's a really interesting, funny thing is that I used to live in France when I was in middle school. I, um, and I went to the American School of Paris. And there's this one day. Yeah. I'm oh. so jealous. I'm oh, so it, it was jealous. Cool. Oh, well, in my sixth grade self didn't think so, but my eighth grade self did think so. <laughs> so by the time I moved back in ninth grade, I was like, I want to stay there. Uh, but but so there's, there's a point to this, I promise. So one of my brother's best friends in middle school at the American School of Paris, who I knew quite well, apparently went to med school at this place in D.C. where I was a SP. And I did not know this. And so one day I am doing one of the hardest encounters, which is for me, which is an unintentional intercourse case. So this girl comes in basically for kind of a rape kit and she's really upset. And it's it's a hard one to do. And it's always on like a Friday morning at 8 a.m. So anyway, oh. one morning I'm doing it and my the student comes in and it's immediate. I'm like, oh my God, that's Eric. Oh my God. That's like in my head. <laughs> and I'm just like, does he know that this is me? Oh my God. I don't know. Like, and I'm in this character and I'm doing this case of all things. And at the very end, thank goodness we got to give feedback in person because after we were able to like shut it down, come back in, he's like, Katie. I'm like, Eric, <laughs> we're just like, how are you? It was, it was bananas. And the whole time I was like, why did it have to be in this case that I'm just like this, you know, struggling, really struggling. So, uh, but I mean, the, there's so many things that have happened in, in encounters. Like it's just, 
it's endless. How, how about you? What's like one of the funnier things that's happened? And like you said, there are many. I, I mean, we're, you know, it's just, and a lot of times they're so nervous. There's just so many things that can happen. Um, I'm well, recently I actually forgot the character's name, which I'm sure happens a lot, but I literally was totally blanking out. And I looked at the girl and I'm like, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I took a moment and I think I finally came up with it. And I said, I'm sorry, that's not, you know, I, I don't like to break character, but I'm like, that's nothing. And I go, it's just a rough morning. And she goes, and she's laughing. She's like, no, that's, that's fine. No worries. And there, like, again, like you, there's so many, I probably can't remember, but there was this other third year that cracked me up because he was interviewing. And sometimes I think some students get into this more than others. They know it's, you know, they know it's simulated. He was acting like he was a detective more than he was a student. And it was so, I just found it just tickled me. It was so funny because I was giving different things and he's like, hmm, hmm. And he's like, aha. (laughs) It was like he had gotten a clue. He's like, aha, I know. It was just, he was so funny. I couldn't, I wanted to just laugh so So hard. That's so, did you get to give him feedback afterwards? I did. Well, for us, we don't talk to, like, we don't uh, like have an encounter with him after, but we can on the, it was for a test. So we have on the uh, (laughs) screen, we can put notes in there. And so what they've asked, of course, you have to, I'm sure you've had this or something similar where it's the whole uh, compliment sandwich kind of thing where it's yes. like, where you, and it's also can't be personal. Like if it's, if it's changeable behavior, they'll say you can put it in there. But then there's on the, the bottom question they've been asking us, we can really just be, I don't want to say, you don't want to be rude or mean, but you can just be yourself. You're, you're not, you don't have to couch it in any certain way. It's a question of, would you want this person to be your doctor? Yeah. Yes or no. And if you say yes, you don't have to put information like why or supporting evidence. I usually do because if there's something that stands out, I like to say, oh, this person genuinely seemed to care. They leaned in. There was great eye contact, whatever. Um, and if it's a no, they, they say you must give a reason. And they, mm-hmm. they say, you can be honest. Just be yourself. If you got a bad vibe, it's okay. Like you can say that. Mm-hmm. So for him, I said yes, but I said he did seem like he was playing a game of clue. you know with the aha and that was more like I'm sure in real life in quote-unquote real life I'm sure he wouldn't act like that but he just may want to remember that for tests that it's just the way he was acting was like okay buddy you know (laughs) right and also are yours recorded are you so hopefully he could then if if needed like go and watch it and be like oh yeah I was doing that but you know it reminds me of you were mentioning the Seinfeld episode which was always like the touchstone of how to describe this type of work to people um that's kind of like how the students are in that episode where they're like gonorrhea like you know they're all just like waiting to I know what it is um so that's (laughs) that's so funny I've, I've never actually experienced a student doing that I've experienced a lot of other things but uh that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I think he even used the term. He's like, ah, the red herring or something no. like that. He did, oh and it was God. just like, and you could tell also by the way he was conducting the interview that he really was trying to quote unquote figure it out. Which again, he just not being like you know in that moment in the case because it was more like I'll figure this out kind of thing, and it was yeah. just like, well, you might want to just look at that. But yeah. you know, otherwise he was good. He actually, uh, I I did encounter him later, and I, I was talking to a facilitator who just happened to say something, and we were kind of chuckling about 
that, his approach yeah. to things there. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that we often, and I don't know if you experience this, we, we laugh ourselves at like, it's, you know, we do make notes about it. Like when they'll get into that habit of like, uh-huh, uh-huh, or awesome, awesome. And it's like, you know, you'll say something like, oh, so I've been having this really bad back pain for the past two months. Okay. Awesome. And it's like, yeah. no, it actually <laughs> has been pretty bad. It, and it's more of their way. I think of yes. Anding you kind of like, yeah. But when it's like that, gotcha, 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 or awesome, you're like, eh, not really awesome. <laughs> yeah, or great. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about because that is such a thing. It's like, well, this person died. Okay, great. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like you can tell they're just so in their head when they're doing that. That that's when you know they're not present for the with whatever the conversation is. It's because they're they're like that guy. You know, a red herring. Um, <laughs> it's just, I would say that if I were to grade him. That this guy that you're talking about, I would probably, I don't know if you guys have checklists in this area, but like ding him on his professionalism. Like, because that to me would be like, oh, he's not taking it seriously. Like, he's taking it seriously in a, in a way, <laughs> but not as like a, let's treat this as a real life scenario for the future. And I'm sure he did later on and stuff, but um but yeah, that that really tickles me. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't almost, I really was, I probably had a visible smirk on my face because I was trying to hide it. It was just like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. It was like he was this detective or something. Like oh, I almost goodness. wanted to picture him with like, you know, a magnifying glass and like. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so good. Oh, it was man, funny. But we've we've had, you know, I mean, there, there have been definitely some laughs. In fact, well, I'm kind of sad one of our doctors is leaving and he was just someone who had such a great sense of humor. So when there were the more casual settings, and I'm sure you've had these two where it's not a test and they're a small group, they come in, they have to learn something, whether it's like, you know, palpating the abdomen or whatever. I have a scar that they often mistake for a gallbladder scar, mm. but it turns out I, when I was six weeks old, I had a pyloric stenosis. Ooh. And since I was born in 71, this is before a lot of advancement. So it's, it's a neat scar. It's, mm. uh, you know, it's very, you know, not, not messy, but it's large scar. Uh. So he was like, what did they use a machete? And, you know, it's just, <gasps> he was just so like, we got to be like, since I've been there so long, like just cracking up. I'm like, all right, wise guy. But, you know, it was, it's those lighthearted moments or when they would hear that it was from pyloric stenosis, it would be always be cute because they'd be like, we just learned about that last week. And it's like, yeah. Right. Which is really cool that you're actually able to say, well, Hey, I, my body went through that. So like that's uh cause not everybody has that. And sometimes when we're teaching uh, the students things as, as like physical exam, uh, teaching assistants, like if we do have something specific to us, which a lot of people have something random, right? That can come in handy on occasion. Like people who have a, a really uh, pronounced J JVP or JVD, like the pulse. Um, mm -hmm. Some people are like, let me show you mine. Cause other people like <laughs> you can barely see it and you're shining the light and everything. And, uh, but yeah, it can really come in handy to have these, you know, different uh, things that have happened to us physically. 
Yeah. Well, you mentioned that or the PMI, which mine, they can never usually find. And it's so funny through the years I've been, I've been told different things. I think sometimes it depends on technique and how people are feeling for pulses. Sometimes I'm thinking, oh my gosh, am I unhealthy? And then other times I'm like, man, I am so healthy. Because sometimes they're like, we can't find your pulse. I'm like, okay, so it's so slow. It's amazing. And other times they're like, oh, that's a good, strong pulse. And I'm like, I often scratch my head and go, well, which is it? I wonder. Yeah. You kind of want to know, like, can we just, uh, let's, <laughs> let's make sure that you're healthy because there, I don't know if this has happened in where you are, but there have been situations where standardized patients who are getting examined, particularly with the medical stuff, uh, they can find things on like med students sometimes will be like, oh, you know what? There was a bit of an arrhythmia or whatever when I was listening to the heart. Uh, so, you know, they, they, and they've talked to them afterwards. So it's not completely uncommon if that a student could find something, which is good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I forget. Um, I don't, I mean, obviously I don't know if we had, I don't remember if we had assigned anything, but obviously we know they're not doctors, right? So right. we're not supposed to be looking for advice or anything, right. but I do believe something like that at least has happened once or twice. Once I, I think I had heard that someone spotted a tick uh, bite on a tick, oh, a tick or a tick wow. bite on one of the patients. And then another time I do know that someone's blood pressure was high enough that I think maybe they sent a doc, like one of the faculty members in to say, let me check this out and say, you know what, you might want to have your blood pressure checked out because it seems kind of high today. So things like that, definitely. Sometimes the other things, um, depending if it's first year, I might take it with a grain of salt, yeah. you know, especially yeah. blood pressures oh, because <laughs> they're usually a range, you know, and I'll kind of chuckle because sometimes the faculty member will go, is that where yours usually is? And I'll be like, ah, it's usually lower, but you know, they're, they're just kind of guessing sometimes it's, it's, if they're learning, you know, it's, but you know, other times they'll say things and it's like, okay, maybe that could be, it's worth knowing having that information, especially if you hear it a couple of times. Exactly. Yeah. If it tends to be a more common thing, you're like, oh, oh, maybe I should get that checked out. Hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe I should actually go to the doctor or yes. go to my CVS and, and see what's going on with the blood pressure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, because I do stand-up comedy and I do talk about my uh, pelvic exams. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done any of the of those delicate, shall we say, exams? So, Oh, wow. Okay. So I have questions for you. Uh, no. <laughs> my, my short answer is I, I have not done any of like what we call Gouda work, genital, urinary, oh, okay. teaching assistant, that or modeling in that way. Um, I know there's good money in it. <laughs> I know it's important and I don't want to be that person. I just don't want to be there with a first year or even second year, or even third year uh, who doesn't know what they're doing. But do you do that? I, so I, uh, since the pandemic, I will say, and I don't know if this was the same with other schools, they have not gone back to doing that or with women or men, the prostate exams. Oh. Um, I, from my understanding is that they're having them work on like, the uh they're not called robots i guess they're uh mannequins know, the sim the mannequins there we go the sim mannequins i believe that's what they're having them do so 2020 the pandemic hit in march i believe the last one i did would have been the spring of 2019 okay. because ours were wow. usually done in the spring and i when i first started it was probably a couple years in i did do they only do, they probably don't do as much maybe as some of the other schools in DC. They would do prostate exams for men mm -hmm. and they do breast exams and they do uh, pelvic exams. And okay. that's pretty much the uh, the whole 
scope of the more intimate, shall we say, exams. I only did the breast exams one year. Now, mm-hmm. I still joke about it in my stand-up because why not? People laugh. But I, I only did it the one year, and they've changed how they do it from what I'm hearing from other women. But it was rather... For me, it was a little too revealing. Um, I just felt I'm like looking these people in the face and seeing them other times. And I just felt too uncomfortable. Like I literally felt like I was flashing people. I just didn't, I did not feel comfortable. And yet I've had friends say, you know, oh, but you're doing pelvic exams. My philosophy was their head is down toward my feet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're not like really looking me in the eye. I just, it, there was like a barrier. I truly yeah. felt, and you've got the gown on, but yeah. I did that for, oh gosh, I want to say, so 2019 was the last time I want to say for at least three or four years. And my record is 11 pelvic exams in one day because yeah. somebody should, did not show up for her shift. And they were like, Janine, do you want to do another set? And I said, okay. Wow. Oh, that, that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It is a lot. Yeah. They they, I, they pay you better for that, right? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. good. Just want to make sure. Um, yes. Yeah. The yeah. shift is like 30 minutes, even though you're being paid for like four and they're paying you at uh, more than double the rate. Oh, yeah. good. Okay. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. That's why wow. I joke about doing it because it was, I mean, and again, they do need to learn. And I will yeah. say again, they run it very professionally, but I did get to know some of the doctors, the OBGYNs, and it was pretty funny because that week I was there twice. And when he saw me, he's like, wow, were you sore from yesterday? <laughs> I, I imagine said, yes, you I were. Was. Yeah. I can't even like, I, I, that's the thing for me. The reason I don't do it is, yeah, I probably would feel a little weird, like, you know, just showing everything to people, but it's actually more the comfort thing. It's not even the, I don't want people to see down there or, or what, what have you. It's more the I don't trust anyone. I barely trust my doctors to do like when I'm getting a pap smear, I'm just like, this is uncomfortable for me. I don't and I don't want to get paid to do it. I don't want to do it. I will do it for my health when I have to do it. Like that is truly how I feel. But there are some people that I think just and and maybe you're one of those people who you must to some extent be that just maybe it's not quite as uncomfortable. Or, or you're just more open to it. I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, the, the fact that you're able to do 11 in one day is incredibly <laughs> impressive to me. <laughs> now, I will tell you this, though. 2019 was the last year. If they do bring it back, I cannot tell you that I will go back to it just because mm. I'm getting crankier. I am turning 52 in a couple of weeks. So now, truly, with perimenopause, I am not as, as uh, joyful <laughs> Mm-hmm. As I used to be. Mm-hmm. Now I do get a little bit crankier, so I don't know if I'll have the the patience for it or the comfort for it because yeah. it, it it's not that it wasn't uncomfortable. It was, but I didn't mind it. And and again, mm-hmm. to be honest, it was you know it was good money. Yeah, but it yeah. did get a little uncomfortable because they did have to learn how to use a speculum, mm-hmm. and that was usually the quick part. But then they had to palpate for your uterus and your ovaries. Ooh. That was the more uncomfortable part because, yeah. especially, I will say, some of the men uh, having larger hands <sighs> and it being oh, uncomfortable. Yeah. That truly was. So yeah, I I can't yeah. say if they do it again if they go back to it. I don't know if I'll return honestly. Yeah. But you really do like it's really cool that you have been able to do that because I really do have mad respect for people that like that's just something again I'm sure gun to my head I could do it like <laughs> but I don't want to. So I'm just but there needs to be people like you or or others who um 
that do give students that opportunity because they need it. It's so important. Yeah. Uh, so then when we're, when they're out in the real world, they're not learning <laughs> with the speculum or palpating. Yeah. And, uh, and I also wonder if like the, the men with the big hands, like maybe they go into a different area of <laughs> medicine. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But maybe they kind of realize like, no, oh, my hands are big. Like I'm getting complaints from, you know, like <laughs> discomfort. I don't know. I'd be curious to find out how that works. But <laughs> I do hope not necessarily for my sake, but for the sake of the future, I, w- I hope they'll have them return to doing it on real patients just because I do think they need to see a variety of different, you know, what it looks like on different women, not just the simulated mannequin that looks the same. And I know that I'm sure they can probably uh, do things to create different scenarios with it. But I think it's important. It's not just seeing, you know, uh, you know, the vaginal area or ovaries or the cervix or whatever, but in being communication skills are key with this because you're in an intimate kind of position there. And, and one thing they used to teach them is, okay, now tell her, okay, I'm, you're going to feel my hands now outside, you know, and talking through it, I think is so important so that you do have that good bedside manner and that you are making the patient feel comfortable. So I, my hope is that they will return to doing it with real people. That is where I'm ending this week's episode. Katie and I had so much fun talking about our standardized patient work, uh, the similarities, the differences, uh, different things like that, that we kind of went a little bit long. I will admit the conversation went almost an hour and a half and I didn't want you to get too tired of us. So I decided to split this week's episode into two parts. That is the end of part one. I thought it was a good place to end because the our conversation then continues and we talk about how the pandemic affected our work as standardized patients. Um, as you can imagine, it, de- I mean, uh, okay. It affected everyone's job. Okay. I understand that. So I want to make that clear. Um, but with the work we were doing, we were in person and, you know, do- we were meeting with med students who had to examine us, who had to, you know, touch our bodies to do whatever exams, you know, uh, feeling for pulses, you know, feeling our stomach when it was an abdominal exam. So we had to figure out, or I should say the, the medical college had to figure out what do we do next? What is going to happen uh, now that the pandemic is here? So our conversation continues in part two of the episode. We'll pick up there where we talk about what happened and what our experiences were once the pandemic hit. And we also talk about some things um, just related to health that I think you'll find interesting. That's why I wanted to share the whole conversation. Maybe you'll be interested in standardized patient work. It is available across the country in Canada and I believe other countries, but I know for sure in the US and Canada. So maybe you'll want to become a standardized patient yourself, or maybe you'll just uh, gain some insight from our conversation conversation talking about uh, wellness and health. So um, please tune in to part two of my conversation with Katie Culligan next week and check out the show notes to see where you can find uh, Katie's podcast and my link to my buy me a coffee if you'd like to invest whether it's $5 or $500, but seriously, any donation you want to make to support the podcast is appreciated. And of course, if you do not have the funds to give any donation, I completely respect that. And I just ask that you consider supporting the podcast in another way. Share it on your social media. Tell a friend, tell a foe, anyone you know, share the good word. And as I always say, I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of my wine glass.